Welcome to the Internet History Podcast. I'm your host, Brian McCullough. Greg Spiridelis has been making things go viral on the web since before the term viral was even a thing. His company, JibJab, has been producing web videos since the dialup.com era, producing such hits as Elf Yourself, Nasty Santa, and This Land is Your Land. JibJab has survived the dot-com bust, the coming of broadband, the coming of YouTube, the coming of social media, and also the mobile internet. What you'll hear today is absolutely a masterclass in pivoting in adapting a business model to thrive in every new technology environment and embracing every new platform and paradigm. Please enjoy. Greg Spiridelis, thanks for coming on the Internet History Podcast. Thank you for having me. Big fan of the show. Well, thank you so much. Uh, you, I've, I've noticed a trend that people that get into the Internet game during the dot-com era maybe half of them were on Wall Street or finance beforehand. Yeah. It's almost like that was the the job for ambitious people in the 80s, yes. and then it switched in the 90s. So you're one of these guys. I was on the cusp. Yeah, I, I lived both of those lives. So like Goldman Sachs sure. and Bear Stearns. Yep. And so I think it's uh, you're actually getting your MBA yep. Yep. in the late 90s. That's correct. And what is it? You see... The animations and stuff that can be done on the web, or your brother sees it, or yeah, I um, I saw it. So it, it actually bridged back to the investment banks, and so in the investment banks back in the day, when you needed a 10k, a public filing of a company, mm-hmm. there'd be someone who'd print them off of CDs, and there'd be someone pushing a cart around the hallways of the cubicles and handing you big documents mm-hmm. and. I discovered Edgar on a Mosaic browser that could let me pipe right into the SEC and get this information. It would mean I would work, you know, 80 hours instead of 120 waiting for documents. Isn't that so funny to think about? But, like, when we talk about how the web and the Internet has changed, basic information that you, oh, will you just go to the Internet and find that? Oh, no. That was a revelation. Oh, it was amazing. I was like a superhero because I had figured out this way for analysts like myself to get this information without waiting for the guy with the cart to come around. And so it had kindled an interest in the internet for me. And then I went uh, to business school. I went to Wharton. And my brother was an animator. He went to Parsons School of Design, just a, a brilliant uh, craftsperson, digital craftsperson using digital photography, wanted to do a television show. And so when I was at business school, I, you know, I became a hobbyist. I was really interested in the internet. And then one day I saw a full-color, audio-enabled cartoon streaming over a 56K modem through my phone line. And I called my brother and I said, you have to, you know, you have to stop uh, thinking about television. This is, uh, you know, the Model T is rolling off the line. Don't bang out the horseshoes. Take a look mm. at this. See if we can do something. And he picked up the software and he started making little animations and he would email them to me and I would give him some ideas and we'd go back and forth. And before he knew it, I graduated business school and uh, we hung a shingle. So this is flash animation? Yeah, flash animation. So back in the day, it was, it was actually called Future Splash first. Uh-huh. And then it was bought by a company called Macromedia. Right. And then uh, it, and it, was, it was Flash and Shockwave. Shockwave, right. And, That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. So that was the interactive. Originally, Shockwave, you could do interactive things with it. But it was for uh, CD-ROM authoring. Mm-hmm. Um, but Flash didn't have interactivity. And over time, we developed interactivity. And actually, some of our earliest uh, 
hits on the web were these little interactive toys that you could play with, um, you know, that were photo collage animation. So let's uh, put the time frame in context. This is 98, 99, maybe? 99. So 99. We, we started in October of 1999. Uh, we spent the first month building out the site, producing some content. We launched our site in November of 99. And it was JibJab from day one? It was JibJab.com from day one. Where did the name come from? The name, we, it was, we, we knew that we didn't know what we were going to evolve into. And so we had a couple of rules around the name. One is it couldn't mean anything specific. So we didn't want to be the cartoonguys.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, two, we decided it had to sound fun. So we wanted it to be two syllable, something that sounded punchy, and then seven letters or less. Because back then there was no autofill. Like you had to type the full word into the browser address bar. Yeah. So jimjab.com was on a list of about 50 names. It was actually a name that I had come up with for another idea while I was in business school, but it just fit. And I don't know if uh, we grew into that name or that name just suited us, but it, it's worked great for 18 years now. So you, you, you said that you didn't necessarily know what it would evolve into as a business, but if you can go back to that mind space, what are you imagining you're doing? Are you creating like a next generation studio are you imagining your your disney for the 21st century sunday our first pitch deck saturday night live for the internet an umbrella brand with lots of little different properties under it so Mm -hmm. we were producing um uh, short form animated series under the jib jab banner and Mm -hmm. it was really about we can cut out the middleman. We don't need to go through the mega media conglomerates to get to an audience. We can build a direct audience with users and we can produce lots of different entertainment under that brand. And we had no idea how we were gonna make money yet. There's one of the, my favorite photos of me and my brother from the early days is we're holding up a check and I think it was for $1.87 <laughs> for like a month of advertising mm-hmm. revenue from mm-hmm. our site. But we knew that if we produced quality content, people would share it. So we, there was no concept of viral back then, but mm-hmm. the idea was you create something of quality, people will send it around. And if we could build an audience and we can keep people's attention, the money would flow into the medium. Mm-hmm. We weren't worried about that. You know, people will always pay for an audience's attention. We just didn't know how long it would take. So the site was conceived of as a destination. Yes. For for, for entertainment, for, exactly. Um, so part of the thinking in this is probably also um, the falling cost of the technology. You guys can do things that mm-hmm. a decade ago would cost millions of dollars to produce. But yes. You can do it off software. Um, but also, is it? It's clearly the opportunity of the distribution channel. The web is galactic, yeah. right? Yeah, there are the two, two, the two big shifts we saw. One, production costs were falling. So, things that would cost millions of dollars year, a few years before even were now accessible to anybody with a desktop computer and a you know thousand dollars of or a few hundred dollars worth of software. So that meant capital was no longer a barrier to entry, talent was. And mm. my brother was coming out of art school and he knew this amazing, he had this amazing network of talented of, uh, folks that he knew. Uh, and then the second piece was distribution was opening. You no longer needed to go work through a, a distributor to get to an audience. Mm-hmm. Again, it was that idea, if we create something of value, people will share it and uh, we'll be able to get distribution. We're gonna get deep into the sharing aspect of it. Um, but, okay, so when you launch, so we launched in November of 99. How did, how does anyone hear about it? Um, 
we we send it to our friends and family and say, hey, look what we're doing. And if you think this is funny, send it to your friends. And that was that was it. It and started with our, our contact manager. What were the videos that were on there? We launched, we knew um, that what we produced had to be relevant to an audience. And so we launched with a series called Nasty Santa. Mm-hmm. And it was a bunch of really, it was short form. They're almost gags. I hate to say they were short form. They were maybe 50. 15 seconds to 30 seconds, but just these little funny sketches of an ordinary Santa Claus who just is having a really bad day. And, uh, and, it was, and we were going into Christmas, and so we had a sense that that would work really well and people would share it, um, something that's relevant. And then in February of 2000, we launched uh, something called the Founding Fathers, the, uh, the Mother Faux Fathers, and it was um, Ben Franklin, um, Ben Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, um, and uh, who's the last one? Uh, George Washington rapping about the mm-hmm. Declaration of Independence. So pre-Hamilton, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. rapping about the Declaration of Independence, and it was interactive, which was a cool thing. So they were all kind of hanging out, and you'd click on, on George Washington, and then he'd come out, and he'd give his rhyme, and then he'd pull back. And, and that was our first hit. And when I say hit back then, nobody was on the Internet. There was right. like... 12 Geeks and, uh, and, and a TV station called Tech TV. And mm-hmm. when we, we landed on Tech TV with Leo Laporte, we thought, it, like, you know, we had, we, we had made it. It was amazing. Yeah. It was um, well, also, uh, contextually, this is the dial-up era. So <clears throat> the, let, let me just, uh, stop me if, if I get this wrong. But, so I would have gotten an email with a link to a video, to the Rapping Presidents, right? Yep. And I would click on it, and I'd go to the website, and necess- and I would have to have the the plugin yeah, for my browser. Plug in, yeah. So it's not it's not literally emailing me the video at all. Oh no! Right? No email a video. Exactly. Yeah. And if I'm lucky, if you guys have a decent setup, it might start playing within ten seconds. <laughs> yeah. But 10? I might I, I might also so have to download and yeah. and then watch. So, well, this was um, this was a credit to my brother. He could figure out how to work with the limitations of the technology to create a compelling aesthetic. So with Flash, you down the way the technology worked was you downloaded a symbol, say the face, a mm-hmm. photo collage face, mm-hmm. and then you could use that face over the entire course of a video without having to download mm-hmm. every frame. So it was vector animation, so you were sending actually formulas over the telephone wire and not pixels. Um, and so all of the content we were producing back then was very much designed aesthetically to work with the limitations of the technology. And so that was a competitive advantage for us, is we could figure out how to, do th- how to make things look really cool um, in a way you could never do. Because video, video didn't work. This was not video. This right. was a client-side piece of software that reassembled components in a way that um, created the sense of a, of a full-end video. But we weren't pumping video over 56K modems. And my brother, I think the founding fathers was maybe three hundred k. Like that's point three megabytes. Yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, are you having to? Well, actually, I'll get into that by saying this. So, the founding fathers is the first big hit. What does that mean in ninety nine or two thousand? Like server overload. You're seeing like. Ten thousand people come in an hour. Hundred thousand. What, what does that feel like to have a hit? In- yeah, in the, in two thousand, I'm trying to remember the numbers, and I don't I don't want to misquote them. 
but it wasn't hundreds of thousands. Right. And we can talk about what happened with this land way mm-hmm. later. Sure, sure. Um, so, so it was not. Um, it was we were on a shared server, you know, like a shared box mm-hmm. somewhere. I mean, there was no cloud. There was, yeah. you know, there was nothing like that. We were on a shared box. And a hit back then probably meant, I want to say, 10,000 people saw what you did. But mm-hmm. this was a time when people didn't even know if you said internet to somebody, it was more likely than not that they didn't know what you were talking about. Well, this is also before the concept of viral is common, commonplace. Absolutely. Yeah. But you guys are already doing it because every video has a email this button or yes. share this T- tell me about that yeah so from the very beginning we were really focused um, from a product standpoint on surrounding uh, the content with viral elements and we didn't even know that they were called viral elements then so every piece of content right next to the content there was a form you know where you could pop in email addresses and hit a button and send it out and there was also a subscribe to our newsletter uh, form field as well Mm -hmm. so we were really focused on leveraging the audience to distribute the content from the very beginning but also to get that hook into the audience so that over time we could build a core base of users and every time we'd launch a video it would get easier to reach an audience and that came in real handy later on when we when we launched this land which was our first breakout kind of Mm -hmm. um, you know mass market hit um so you're not necessarily aside from the pennies you're getting from your double click ads or whatever um, those first years, are you making most of your money by like um, in, uh, commissioned projects yes. from other? Like, who who are you? Uh, so doing service work. For? So we were doing. Um, it was we were in a really unique position in that there were a lot of media companies that were interested in exploring animation on the internet, and very few people who knew how to do it. So we were doing just enough commissioned work to support the original content programming and uh, so some of our clients in the early days included uh, the sci-fi channel macromedia flash had a site where you could send e-cards so even though today we've got a very big e-card business Mm -hmm. back then uh, our most of our business was coming from producing e-cards for um, shockwave.com mm. which was macromedia's kind of uh, consumer facing portal yeah. portal yeah. Yeah. yeah so yeah so we did uh, shockwave uh, e-cards we worked with disney we worked with sony so we had a nice batch of clients but you know when you're starting out a business whether it's today or back then it's great if you have a skill set where you can actually generate some revenue from to support kind of the bigger the bigger vision and for us it was always where's that line it was never about driving profit from the service work it was always about you know feeding the habit Mm -hmm. making sure we're getting enough cash flow in that we can keep investing in original programming and the bigger vision well you got you and i were talking about this a little bit before we started but 99 especially people forget this everyone remembers you know pets.com and the the dot-coms but there was especially in 99 into 2000 a ton of people all at once throwing money into video. Yeah. Um, there's uh, pop.com, z.com. Um, Den.net. People like Ron Howard do yeah. think that they're creating the yeah. next generation, uh, yeah. you know, production studios and things like that. Yeah. So um, just tell me about the, the space and the competition and does anyone know what they're doing? It or came, no, it came out of nowhere. Yeah. So, you know, it, it came on so fast. And because we had been doing what we we're doing for six weeks we were like experts in the space i mean mm-hmm. it came that fast and like you said it was den.net pop.com z.com adamfilms.com uh, ifilm mm-hmm. um 
And then some of the kind of more underground, like new grounds. Mm-hmm. There was just all of these sites that were that were cropping up around entertainment. But where it became really interesting was when the big money started coming in, and that was the den.nets and the pop.coms, Ron Howard and mm-hmm. Brian Grazier mm-hmm. and all those guys. Um, you know, and they started doing the big parties, and mm-hmm. you know, it became like the classic dot com one o, like right. overindulge in the parties, and right. no one knew what they were doing. So, my bro, uh, um, these these folks were licensing from us, which was great for our business because the venture money was funding was flowing mm-hmm. into all these distributors, and the distributors had nowhere to go to find. They had to find content, so they would come to us and they would license our content. Um, and so we had all these people we were dealing with. We were in Brooklyn at the time, and uh, all these folks, mostly for the most part, were in LA. Uh, and my and I took a trip out there one summer. I think it was the summer of 2000, or maybe it might have been 2001. And I did a little tour of all these studios. I think I was in Z.com, and it was I called my brother, and I was like, "They have the best-looking people, mm-hmm. an amazing cappuccino bar, and a giant fish tank." I have no idea what anybody's doing here. We are totally screwed. This whole, like, the, all of these businesses that are funding us with licensing uh, contracts are going to go poof at some point. I don't know if it's next week or next month, but we better start thinking about what happens when all these, all these folks go bankrupt. And sure enough, they all went bankrupt because there was no ad, there was no way, mm-hmm. um, there was no ad supported model and there was nothing of quality to warrant a subscription and actually no payment infrastructure at the time to even support right. that kind of thing and so sure enough um you know then came 911 and 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 everything unwound and I um, never know who to attribute it to but that uh, there's that quote that like with the pretty people show up yeah that's, that's when you know it's that it's time to go <laughs> yeah. yeah no it was that that was it and it was Los Angeles so you know it was it was pretty extreme. So uh, the bubble bursts, yeah. and uh, th- I mean, think of, this is what eighteen months you go from business doesn't exist yeah. to suddenly you're the experts in the field to yeah. suddenly everyone's throwing money at you to suddenly it's gone. Yeah, absolutely gone. And we had bootstrapped up to about thirteen people in Brooklyn, um, and so we made toys. <laughs> so this is uh, this was the great thing about the internet. If you hustled, it 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 empowered two people sitting in Brooklyn with no experience in anything to kind of hustle their way out of these bad situations. So what happened after the crash, we had, I'd mentioned this character, Nasty Santa, who mm-hmm. had this little kind of cult following online. And I read, uh, I found Spencer Gifts. I said, hey, I wonder if we can make toys with this character, because he's like this kind of edgy character. If we can make toys for Spencer Gifts. And Spencer Gifts, for those who don't know, is a retail chain that's got, you know, edgy, you know, edgy merchandise. They, Stuff you'd they, never find in Walmart. They'd probably prefer the term novelty gift. Novelty, <laughs> novelty, okay. Yeah. Yes, that's true. So so I found out on the internet that they had an open vendor day. And then I, so I was like, oh, I'll just go to open vendor day and tell them we have 5 million online views for Nasty Santa and people love this character and they should buy a talking Nasty Santa doll. So I, 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 I got that scheduled on the internet and then I... Keep in mind, I'd never sold a toy in my life. I don't mm-hmm. know this, but and then we found on the internet, we just started looking for toy factories in China. Found a bunch of toy factories, put a picture of the character, emailed it to these folks, and said, "Here's an RFP for five thousand units, and uh, we need your sample by this date to be considered." And you know, on the by the appointed date, we had like twenty of these crazy nasty Santa dolls show up from all over China. We picked the best one, went down to Spencer Gifts, got an order for five thousand. Um, you know, uh, nasty Santa dolls, and 
and we were in the toy business while we waited for the dot-com uh, storm to pass. Um, you moved out to, to L.A. too, right? Yes. Yeah, so at in, that point. Yeah, so we moved out after that, that um, so it was 9-11, uh, and then the following, that, that winter after 9-11, we said, you know what, this, the Internet's not coming back uh, for what we do anytime soon. Let's kind of go, let's go get a, let's hit the reset button and rebuild out in L.A. The, um, my memory of the time is it, <clears throat> it felt to so many people like, oh, that was just a fad. Ha ha. We were never really serious about it either. The Internet's not going to yeah. work out. What, what do you remember about, like, because you guys are still committed to trying to do video online. Right? Oh, yeah. But what, yeah. Is, what, are, what are people's feelings about, oh, that's, that's over or what? Oh, I mean, the Internet was, you know, was the joke then, right? Yeah, it was yeah. like, it was the irrational exuberance. It was the bubble had burst. It was, that was, that was crazy. Look how, look how stupid people could be. They thought that the Internet was going to be something. I mean, mm-hmm. this was really not an optimistic time if you were in the Internet. Yeah. And uh, so we moved out to L.A., set up a small studio, and we just kept plugging away at it. We kept looking for ways to iterate our content formats. Um, so you never stopped producing stuff for Jib Jam? No, we never stopped producing. Mm-hmm. We, and, and it was one of the great blessings that we did not take money. We never mm-hmm. raised venture money in the early days. Um, and because I was an investment banker, mm-hmm. I had people coming to me saying, "We want to, you want to raise a million dollars? And I'm like, I have no idea where the money is going to come from to build a real business here. I mean, I believe in it, but mm-hmm. I don't want to take your money. Yeah. And it was one of the things that I think enabled us to survive the, uh, the winter because we didn't have anybody um, you know, who was anyone else that we had to answer to. We just could kind of keep believing ourselves and keep plugging away at it. So we went out to LA and we were doing um, advertise. We were doing um, we were doing sponsor work, so commissioned work. We were doing toys. We grew our Spencer toy line gift into twelve SKUs in the second uh, season that mm-hmm. we were doing novelty toys. And they sold well. Well they enough to keep the great. lights on. Yeah, okay. they, they sold great. I mean. The problem was we could, they were so edgy we could never take them to Walmart, so you were always capped right. on how big that business was going to be. But for two of us sitting in a little studio in yeah. L.A. making 12 SKUs that were distributed to 700 stores, it paid the rent, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. paid the rent. Uh, and then we were just plugging, and then we did a children's book. We wrote a children's book. I wrote, my brother illustrated a children's book for Disney that was a, a top uh, holiday book for Disney Hyperion in 2003. It's called Are You Grumpy Santa? Mm-hmm. It was great because we had the same exact, visually the same yeah. exact Santa in the, in the center aisle of uh, Barnes & Noble in the children's book section. And then if you walk across the mall to uh, Spencer Gifts, you'd see the same character. And if you squeezed him, he'd say, you know, kiss my jolly fat. <laughs> you guys really owe Santa. You wrote him. You know, hey, Santa has <laughs> been very, very good to Jib Jab. Christmas has been very, elf yourself and we can get there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Christmas has been very, very good to Jib Jab. Um, I heard you on um, talk about by the time this land comes around in 2004, you're almost, you guys even, even for your optimism, are almost at the point where like, yeah, maybe this internet thing isn't going to work out. Is is that right? Do I have that right? Like, you have that absolutely right. I mean, we were for it. People think, people thought we were an overnight success. We were four and a half years into producing and building and developing and we knew election, elections were big opportunities, because I, I skipped over it, but in 2000, we, after we did the Founding Fathers rap, mm-hmm. 
that February, that November, or that, that summer, we released something. It was the George Bush and Al Gore rap battle. Mm-hmm. And that was, that had gone to the next level. It was on Mad TV, we're on ABC. So that, the consumer internet was really starting to, to kind of uh, percolate. And so we knew in 2004 that elections were an amazing opportunity for comedy, um, but also the relevance. You could produce something and release it in July that would be relevant through November. So we could produce content that was topical but had a shelf life. And by that point, we had experimented with formats enough. We knew music worked. We knew politics worked. Uh, the photo collage style my brother had really mm-hmm. developed what you know resonated and so all these that's pieces, that sort of like South Park sort of yeah, where it looks like with move, big gotcha. big photo yeah. heads and the chop jaw mouths right which were by the way um, output from the constraint of delivering you know through the technology right you know it's delivering that one head one right. time that the player on the client side then mm-hmm. then animated. Uh, so the style was informed by the constraint. And um, so we had iterated these, the format. And in 2004, when we, we, we were like, ah, I don't know, this, this internet thing, like we're going to have to go get real jobs. We had both recently gotten married. And uh, we, just, we just didn't know. We thought we, had, we were the ones who kind of, you know, who just were hanging on too long. So we said... Let's release this. Let's see where it goes. And um, but hopes were not high. But then we created it. And one of the great things about producing something, you know, when you've got something special. And it was about an eight-week production cycle for this land. And when you're producing something for eight weeks and you're still laughing at it eight weeks in, you kind of know you have something special. And so we launched that on July 9th in 2004, and that was kind of a, a major pivot point for the company. Um, so obviously people can search for this land online and, and watch it, but um, just describe for me what it was and, and why you think it hit. Yeah, so this land was a uh, it was about a minute and a half uh, comedy music video featuring George Bush and Al Gore. Uh, or, um, for the I'm John sorry, Kerry. George Bush, John Kerry, John Kerry uh, yeah. um, basically singing "This Land Is Your Land" mm-hmm. about the uh, you know 2004 presidential election, and uh, you know, and it was it, it, the the theme was that it was just that these two candidates were so childish. I mean, we've taken it to a new level nowadays, <laughs> mm-hmm. but back then it was you know George Bush calling John Kerry a liberal liberal wiener and John Kerry calling George Bush a right wing nut job. Mm-hmm. And uh, it uh, it just blew up. It just went absolutely, uh, you know, viral uh, from the moment we put it out. Okay, what service. does that mean in two thousand four then? So two thousand and four to blow up in two thousand to blow up in two thousand and four. What happened in two thousand four was everyone was on the internet in mm-hmm. two thousand four. People were on the internet at work. People had broadband, and more importantly than anything else. People were using, everybody was on email. In 2000, email was this esoteric weird thing that only geeks were doing mm-hmm. or, or college students. Mm-hmm. By 2004, mom and dad were emailing. One of the most common things my brother and I heard was people would pull us aside and go, you did this land? You're never going to believe this. My dad emailed that to me. Like dad's emailing was this incredible, yeah. uh, this incredible shift in culture. And, and that's what lit up the distribution. I think the behavioral piece of it more than the broadband piece, although they're both important, 
uh, really enabled it to light on fire. And also back then, people would take a link and email it to their entire contact manager. Mm -hmm. That was the difference. Like, so those, those, those older folks listening, although you can't even imagine this, I mean, younger folks don't even use email. But basically, if you found something funny on the internet, it was not socially unacceptable to copy that link into an email and send it to everybody in your entire address book. Yeah. And so it was with that, with that, uh, you know, with that virality, we were able to build a huge audience. And so in terms of view counts, this land did, eight, and in the follow-up we did called uh, Good to Be in DC, did 80 million views during the course of the 2004 election. Uh, keep in mind, this is in a pre-YouTube world. Mm -hmm. So in addition to having created this thing, we now have to figure out how do we keep servers online um, how, how did you? and serving the videos. So this was a lesson in, uh, in, in scrappiness. We, so we, ha we were on a shared server. We were on a company called Data Return. We were on a shared box. We were paying $400 a month. It was in Texas somewhere. Mm -hmm. And people loved this video. Like, it's hard to imagine, but back then... There was no YouTube. So mm -hmm. if you saw a video in July of nine, in 2004 on the internet, it was probably our video. Like this was a novelty. Mm -hmm. People hadn't seen it. And so everyone who was remotely associated with this like took great pride in this video. And so I remember we had this big hosting company, Data Return, and they would have conference rooms full of people trying to figure out how do they help us keep our server hmm. up without compromising their entire network. Yeah, yeah. And so what we did, and we were getting other stories, which I can go into, but um, we were getting emails from soldiers in Saddam Hussein's palaces telling us that the Pentagon had blocked jib-jab because we were clogging up the, uh, the Pentagon's networks mm -hmm. in Saddam Hussein's old palaces. NASA called us for a copy to send to the International Space Station. Hmm. It was crazy. But the, the technical solution was mirroring. So this thing called mirroring, where we turned our server, people, we were, people were volunteering their servers to us, and we would ship them the HTML page and the video, and they would put it on their servers. So we had dozens of these, or maybe more, all over the world, the people who volunteered to host it. And then when people came to jibjab.com, we would just randomly pick one of the, the mirror sites. Yeah. And we would just, we'd iframe them so it looked like jibjab.com. But we were bouncing, uh, bouncing our visitors to all these different mirrored sites. And we found a revenue opportunity in it in that we could offer the paid download. Because the site would go down so much because huh. of the traffic, we started, we re there was a site called Payloads at the time that would let you uh, charge for a digital file. So if you wanted to, you could pay two ninety nine and buy the download. So we were a lot. We could talk about there were lots of business hacks as well as technical hacks. Yeah. Nowadays, kids today. I mean, it's all like turnkey. You know, upload a video to right. YouTube. But Just, we were uh, or, or have a CDN in place so that if oh, you, yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean cloud all these right. things. I mean it's great, but but um, back then to be able to do the creative content piece of it as well as cobble together the technical piece of it um, was a competitive advantage. It was really hard to do both of those things and I think that created a, a lane for myself and my brother to kind of ride through and, and build, build Just real quick, uh, I know that this is still early days but were there, did you get any sort of, of the early social uptick on something like Slashdot or maybe Fark or something like yeah, that? Yeah, Fark, yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, Fark, I'm trying to remember there was another one. Um, and I'm blanking on 
Uh, they used to have like Photoshop contests. I can't remember right now. But you're starting to see what is commonplace now, which is, man, have you seen this video? Yes. And people are sharing it on their blog or their yes, yeah. absolutely discussion mm-hmm. forums mm-hmm. everywhere. Oh, and the and the other thing that accelerated distribution, television. Mm. So television became a huge, uh, for the first time, a huge driver of awareness. So we put the video on the site on I think it was Thursday, July 9th. Friday, Brian Wilson on Fox News called us and put myself and my brother on Fox News um, and put the video on and like and that show spontaneously melted our servers. <laughs> like that was the that was the 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 siren went off. We couldn't keep the site up from that day. And then a week later, we're on the couch with Jay Leno. We're on the Today Show with Matt Lauer, and I mean, this. Keep in mind, this is a couple of weeks after thinking we're going to have to fold up mm-hmm. our operation, and the next thing you know, you're sitting on the couch on the Tonight Show. So it was a, it was a, a like a, just a magical few months for us. It was just a great uh, validation of all the work we've been doing. What does that do to the business? So the business, we were cobbling together revenue every way we could because we're like, hey, if this is our 15 minutes, we better make the most of it. Uh-huh. So I mentioned we did digital downloads. The other thing, one of my favorite stories is uh, the Today Show is coming into our studio on the West Coast at 2 a.m. because mm. they had to, um, and, and it was like 10 at night, and I turned to my brother and I said, we should make a DVD. Mm. And he said, yeah, let's make a DVD. So I set up a Yahoo store and he, 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 he created a fake cover for a DVD, printed it, put it in a DVD cover, and we're on the Today Show. They're like, where can you get these videos? Well, I'm glad you asked, Matt. <laughs> My brother holds up, the, holds up the case. We say, you could buy a DVD at jimjam.com. And you can just see Matt Lauer's face. He's like, I just totally walked right into that. <laughs> we sold 10,000 DVDs. Wow. Um, uh, the first day. Wow. And the great, the funniest thing was Yahoo store had this option where you could automatically, you, you, had, to, you had to opt in to have them automatically process transactions mm-hmm. before you reviewed them. So I wound up with 10,000 transactions that needed to be approved with the by hand. Yeah, yeah, by hand. <laughs> but that was a great, uh, but then we did licensing, Trivial Pursuits licensed our stuff. We uh-huh. did um, another DVD deal with a distributor. So, and also licensing. This is where this land set us up to do um, uh, exclusive licensing deals with the portals because back then YouTube didn't mm-hmm. exist. Um, Yahoo was our first big licensing partner, and so license Yahoo would do what we called a third-party exclusive. Yahoo would be able to show our new videos, and we would uh, and we would distribute them through our site as well. And so also, and they would pay us for that. The, the new videos that you create in the wake of this. Um, so now you have this audience that is now yes. becoming loyal to your. Yeah, absolutely. Content. Yeah, we had we had a big audience that we could bring. And the one thing, just to go back really quick, mm-hmm. about all those years, four and a half years of putting the subscribe to our newsletter form field on our website, the only marketing we did to kickstart uh, this land was to email 130,000 people on that newsletter. And I think it cost us a few hundred bucks. That was the only marketing that we did. And uh, so that's where, like, a- a- anybody starting a business, a digital business, like, just have a small, passionate user base, and when you get the right product for that user base, you know that's uh, all the all the marketing you need. It'll help spread it. Uh, help me do justice to the timeline here. Um, it, before YouTube comes around and 
yeah. shakes everything up. Yeah. Uh, do you guys start to do the the greeting cards before that, or is that in a response? To no, YouTube? that's later. That's okay. in response. So okay. yeah, and at this point, we're doing licensing deals. Mm-hmm. So at first, we did Yahoo, and these were real. I mean, these were six figure plus yeah. deals. And keep in mind, it was me and my brother. We'd finally found a way to to make a little bit of money doing this. Um, so Jib Jab is the brand, and you find all these partners to be yeah. the, the place where people the will distributor. Find, yeah. yeah, so they distribute on their site, but also ours. We mm-hmm. we knew we didn't want to let go of the grip of distribution. Mm-hmm. So we said you can do it on your site, but we're going to do it on ours as well. And the partners could monetize. At that point, you were starting to see. Uh, video advertising. There was a market for video advertising, and um, so there was there was money to be made. I mean, it was nothing like it is now, but the big portals with big sales teams could actually get out there and find uh, find advertisers who wanted to be associated with this kind of content. So again, this is a very short time frame where you go from almost uh, turning things off and shutting the doors to this huge success to. Yeah. YouTube comes along and blows that whole thing up? Yeah, so it was December, I think it was December, so this was 04, July 04 we did this land. Yeah. We were doing all these exclusive licensing deals. I should also say we did, uh, we got a television pilot deal with NBC, mm. we did a film uh, uh, pilot project with Warner Brothers, and we had the option to, do, uh, to, to pursue either one of those, and we turned it down to focus on the internet, and we raised our first round of capital when YouTube came around, and it was... YouTube was a scary thing because they said, oh, wow, M- you know, MSN and Yahoo are paying me to be the exclusive license- di- distributor of this. And the, the genie's out of the bottle. Like, mm. there's no such thing as exclusivity yeah, on the internet. Yeah. YouTube proved it because the first big hit on YouTube was uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, uh-huh. which is a riff off of Saturday Night Live's content. Right, right. So as soon as I saw that, I saw Chronicles of Narnia and I said, uh Oh, we're gonna have to figure out some new way of making money. And Wait, is that the one? Um, it's that's Adam the one, Sandberg, and, right? Uh, where they yeah. they go, they, they go rap about the chronicles, right? And and yeah. they they get um, uh, cupcakes or whatever. Yeah, yeah lazy yeah. Sunday. Yeah, yes, yeah. Lazy, lazy Sunday. Sunday. Lazy yeah. Sunday. So that was that that video on YouTube was one of the catalysts right. for YouTube's growth. Exactly. And when I saw that, I was like, "Oh my goodness! This here we go again." I mean, this mm-hmm. happened. This mm-hmm. happened once again. Like it's all going poof. We got to figure out what's next. But this time, unlike the last times where we had nothing to lose, I mean, we had nothing. This time, we had a global brand. I mean, we mm-hmm. had, people knew us all over the world. And I said, "Okay, now is the time to raise. Now is the time to raise money because the um, we, we have a real asset here, and we're going to need some way of bridging into the future." And so the initial thought was will produce branded entertainment. You're gonna have these big distributors, it's no longer gonna be just direct from JibJab, and big distributors like YouTube, brands are gonna wanna play, but they're not gonna wanna be associated with the really lowbrow stuff that was getting, you know, UGC, everything Mm -hmm. was UGC Mm -hmm. was Mm -hmm. like, couldn't avoid that that acronym for probably three years. Mm -hmm. Um, They don't wanna be associated with that. They're gonna wanna do uh, high quality comedy programming, Let's go raise a round of capital so we can pursue uh, branded entertainment. And uh, we raised our, our first round of capital, $6.4 million in 2006 from Polaris Venture Partners. Um, and then we produced our first branded entertainment, which was a huge success from an optics perspective. We had uh, John Landis, the director of Blue, uh, Blues Brothers, Animal House, Trading Places, Coming to America, greatest comedy, mm-hmm. American comedy director, 
did a sketch comedy competition with sketch comedy troops across the country. Verizon sponsored it. We were on Jay Leno, my brother, myself, mm -hmm. and John Landis. Uh, took about six months. We did this whole big thing. We didn't make a dime. Mm. So here I had just raised six point four December of two thousand six or seven. Sorry, I had just raised six point four million on this concept that I now knew was um, never going to work at scale, and I had to figure out what to do. And that's when I stumbled into the uh, the opportunity in direct consumer greeting cards. Well, again, uh, your ability to read a 10K, right, is what yes. clues you into this. Yes. Tell me that story. So, yeah. So, it was, so, we launched the Great Sketch Experiment in October 2007. And that holiday, my brother and I are at my dad's. And I'm just in a full-blown panic about the fact that I just took $6.4 million <laughs> for an idea that was not going to work. Uh, and so we started desperately looking for where's the business models and content out there. We, we wanted to get out of the advertising business because what we realized was marketers are, are not necessarily, they're, they're detrimental to their own best interests, right? Mm -hmm. Especially in the early days. People didn't know how to, how to subtly market their products on the internet. So mm -hmm. everything was uh, very heavy handed. And so we wanted to find a direct to consumer business. And I realized greeting cards People were paying for greeting cards. And so I, I found a 10K for American Greetings, which was public at the time. And I saw that they had an $80 million a year subscription e-card business. And I went to my brother. I said, look at this. And he said, you know, I'm not effing making e-cards, Greg. <laughs> and I said, don't think about what they are. Think about what they can be. Like, we can make them cool. Yes, they're terrible. That doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. That means there's a, a, a real opportunity here. Let's go make them cool. And uh, to his credit, and always to his credit, um, he is the most open-minded and, uh, uh, you know, he's able to orient himself around business opportunities better than any artist mm -hmm. I know. And uh, sure enough, we started uh, looking into it and thinking about it and brainstorming it, and we launched a subscription greeting service in, uh, to, at the end of um, 2007. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry. 2006 was a great sketch experiment. 2007, we launched um, our greeting, uh, greeting card product. And the key differentiator was personalization. So you could upload a photo and you could put yourself and your friends into it. Um, so that's a subscription business. And so you're no longer, it's no longer a hit-based yes. business that you're in. It's more, now more, you have, yes. you can so, relax a little bit. <laughs> a, a little bit. Um, but we had to build a library. Yeah. So we couldn't relax yet because the whole mm -hmm. business was, was contingent on building a big library of content. And there were a, there were a couple of aspects of the business that, were, that, that made the difference. One is people will pay, we realize people will pay for utility. They won't pay to watch something and consume it, but if they can do something with the content, mm -hmm. they would pay us for it. And mm -hmm. so that was a really big, um, we, we reoriented our thinking around, okay. So the, the idea is, is if I want to send my uncle a birthday card, I can put his face on it. Yeah. I can have him go to the moon or something. So, I, so yeah. I can be creative with this stuff. You can be creative. Mm -hmm. So the other great thing was with this land, it was lightning in a bottle. We had to be like, we had to have that spark. And you know, any artist who tells you they, they're just gonna do it over and over again is either lying to themselves or delusional. I mean, mm -hmm. we, knew, we knew we worked hard, but there was also a certain amount of luck in the muses and all that. What was great about personalization, well, cards are relevant, so you're always building around relevant topics. That's really important. But personalization gave us scale. So whereas this land, we had to tell one, one joke 
that was funny to 80 million people. Mm. With personalization, we create one template. The user injects the funny to their small circle of 10 friends. Right, right. But if enough users do that, you actually get the scale without all the creative risk of doing you know, that, that lightning in a bottle political statement. And right. um, so we got immense creative and comedic scale by giving users tools to inject the funny for their own small circle of friends. And then Facebook came along. I was going to say. Supercharged distribution. For once, your timing is perfect. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, so we got a, better at timing as we went along. So it's right about this time that Facebook opens up the platform. Yes. And um, in a way, everything that you had always been doing is... Is, is right there. The sharing is right there. The address book is, is baked into what Facebook yeah, does. So yeah. you guys are perfect for... So I'll say, even in, in because this is the Internet History Podcast, I'm going to mention, first it was MySpace. Right. So the first place we were publishing, when we launched this in 07, we launched Starring You in August 07, we launched eCards in October of 07, but the first place we were publishing out to was MySpace. Um, and that's where we saw the first bit of traction. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, wow, social networks, we knew. Like, I was really tuned into social networks mm-hmm. because the mechanics of a social network were the same mechanics of emailing your entire address book something. Right. And when you think about it, it's exactly the same thing, only the social network doesn't come with any feeling of obligation to respond to the user who mm-hmm. you know, pushed something at you. It's more of a passive experience. But uh, we, when I saw the social nets, that's where I said, oh, okay, now we've got this kind of one to a hundred distribution is coming back online. So it was MySpace first, but what Facebook did, I mean, why Facebook is Facebook today is because of the platform opening, which was the most genius business technology strategic move, uh, you know, of the past, of, since I've been in the business for 18 years, mm-hmm. giving um, third-party products the ability to integrate uh, the social, social elements into their own products. So now when you came to JibJab, when we, when we built on platform, you press a Facebook connect button and all of a sudden you see all your friends on our site. When you want to cut your friend's face out and put them in a video, you don't have to go somewhere, download a photo. Because you would have it. access to the photos. We just pull them right, right yeah, into our yeah, products. Yeah. And so we were one of the first builders on Facebook platform and we got a lot of, uh, a lot of accolades for kind of the way we did integrations back then. It was, it, was a, it was a fun time. It was a great time. You could be super innovative on your product and especially with what we did with photos. I mean, it was a it was a dream from the uh, social data access side, but also on the distribution side. I mean, those were two pieces that helped us supercharge our product. Uh, I want to bring us in, into today, um, but let me do that by saying, since you guys are on social from the very beginning, and you've you've ridden that wave all the mm-hmm. way to now, have have you seen it evolve in in terms of the what people share? now versus what they did then was there a learning curve of people like just anything about how sharing has evolved in the time you've been doing it yeah i think it's um the one really noticeable thing for us is what used to be short form is now long form i think like attention spans have really shifted Mm. like we used to say yeah we make minute and a half long videos and people would be like what just a minute and a half huh now it's like a minute. You want me to watch something? That for sounds a like a, a movie. Half? That's yeah. like yeah, that's like a feature length yeah. film. Yeah. Come yeah. on, yeah. pal. So I would say like we see the t- attention span shrinking, uh, and also for us, we're trying to tie into higher frequency 
expressions. So whereas earlier on when Facebook first launched, we were first building on platform, it was about the Christmas card or the mm. birthday card, like big, big, big life events. And now we're producing uh, gifts and mm -hmm. you know really really short form gifts that can express every, that you can use multiple times a day that are much shorter and you know lend themselves to much higher frequency usage. Well, um, Sarah Lacey said of you uh, that Greg has never met a web or mobile platform that he couldn't exploit. <laughs> um, so basically, that's what you've done over the last decade or so. Every time. The, yeah. the the platforms shift or a new platform arises, you guys yeah. try to be there. You've been getting into the, the messaging space a yeah. lot the last couple of years. Yeah, so I the thing we've done, been able to do really well, is identify new distribution channels early and then say, okay, what kind of creative formats work for those new channels? Like if I had to distill... How did we survive 18 years of original content uh, production and business building on the internet? That, that would be it. It's a combination of seeing a distribution channel and then saying, you know, we're not going to put political satires on Facebook, mm. but Facebook gives us access to photos and friend mm -hmm. data. Let's create personalized videos with photos and friend data. So it's, and now with messaging, um, we're not going to like put minute and a half long Christmas cards on messengers, but we're going to put like really, um, really common everyday expressions into gifts that people can share. In so a you have to be way. cognizant of what works best natively on each platform. Exactly. And each platform can be different. Every platform is different and, uh -huh. and the trick is identifying the platform and then figuring out what kinds of stories do you want to tell on that platform. So back in the email and web page days it was political satire. In the Facebook platform, uh, MySpace into Facebook platform, it was personalized videos with mm -hmm. friends' photos, and now I think in the mobile, you know, on the mobile messaging era, it's about uh, lightweight, really lightweight, fun communication. Um, the is it, is it possible? So you you've made this great business and this career of basically jumping from lily pad to lily pad, <laughs> platform to platform. It, is it in this day and age? Do you need the platforms to do what you do? Yeah, there's I mean, no way to do say, it without them. Yeah, I would say that's the difference these days. Is every, every attention is consolidated, and people aren't going off and visiting random websites. I mean, even now, right now, what's happening at this moment in time is Facebook clamping down on the organic distribution of third-party publishing sites. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, as tough as it was a year ago, it's going to get even tougher. I mean, you saw Google do this with, was it Panda? I forget. Right. Like, and Penguin. Yeah, yeah, I mean, so you're seeing the same, the, what Google did to the, the content farms five years ago, maybe. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, we're now seeing Facebook doing on the distribution side on their platform. And what they're doing is they're herding everybody into their paid media products. So... Basically, if you want distribution, pay us for it. Mm -hmm. And so that's in the end what they always do. They all the platforms always move. It's you always into the free. Media. You, yeah. This is where you're going to get the eyeballs, but eventually, eventually there's no free lunch anywhere. And yeah. you know what? No one has any right to expect a free lunch ever. So right. if you're in the shoes of a publisher today, you go. Okay, did I use that window of time where I was lucky enough to get a free lunch to build an economic model that mm -hmm. can now 
sustain in a paid marketing world. And luckily for JibJab, we can do that. And it's, it's obviously, it's not preferable. If I could reach one person organically for free mm-hmm. versus through the, the paid platform, of course I would rather have it be organic. But luckily for us, you know, we, we've got a model that supports paid acquisition. And so that, that business chugs on with some of our for, some of our margin now going into the Chuck, uh, you know the Chan Zuckerberg Foundation. I, when you were on uh, Kara's show, you know she pointed out that it, this goes back to AOL. AOL started out they would pay you mm-hmm. if, to put their content on AOL, yep. and then a few years later you're paying you're them. paying them. Yeah. Um, so when you see everyone in the in any industry freaking out because a Facebook is changing, yeah, uh, you know videos going from five percent to four percent, like. Yeah, is there any is there any advice that you could offer to people? Like, is if if you have to be on a platform, how can you ride the tiger and not get yeah. bit? Don't fight it. Mm. Don't waste your time complaining about the fact that they're clamping this back. Or just look for either look for ways to uh, to move into the paid uh, the paid media programs that they offer. Or find a new business model. Mm. Honestly, th- this happened before. This was in the first era, the Zynga era, right. where Facebook was really focused on the gaming of their viral mechanics. So back, this is so in the in the Zynga era. For those who may not remember Farmville and Vampire Bites mm-hmm, and all mm-hmm. these things, you have these really smart developers who could game the viral channels on Facebook and build. I mean, absurd audiences mm-hmm. for. For content and uh, products of zero value. I mean, Zingo cr- created some great games, but there was Vampire Bites, a bunch of things that. So Facebook would change the algorithm constantly, and they'd clamp down on distribution. And you'd hear everyone, "This is not fair. They're like changing the rules of the game." No, they're changing the rules of the game because the, their end user experience is suffering by the exploitation of their product by developers, which developers are always going to do. So they change the rules. You know, now I think the difference is back then they were trying to change the bad behavior of the developers. Now the interesting thing is they've got to somehow control the psychology of their users mm. because the distribution algorithms that they're playing with now are about how do you make sure these things that are inspire you know that are uh, inspiring all of this uh, hate and just negativity on their platform? How do you get those things out of the newsfeed? Um, so before they were trying to hack their algorithms to kind of contain the, the, the growth hackers, mm-hmm. and now they're trying to, I think, they got to protect us from ourselves, our instinct to jump in on that bad fight. You know, and, I feel like this, is a, this has come up on several recent conversations I've had. Um, the idea that, you know, we thought that the algorithms were, were more efficient than curation. Yeah. But it's turning out that you still need to curate the algorithms. Yeah. You can let them run independently, but you still got to guide them. Yeah. So we're coming back to this curation thing, essentially. Yeah, I think it's really challenging. I mean, just because I think some of the, some of the data signals that they have comments on a post. Mm-hmm. Well, that necessarily isn't a good thing. I mean, people could be tearing each other to shreds right. in those comments. Right. And so, or even the sharing. Like, if, sharing. You're, if you're sharing something that you're appalled by. Yeah. Is that really is that a feel good yeah. act? Yeah. No. I mean it's so so really now mm-hmm. they've got to start getting into like their 
altering their algorithms to around human psychology. It's really mm. interesting. You think about it. Like, how do they do that? They start doing sentiment analysis on comments and yeah. all sorts of other things. I mean, it's like before it was just keep the bad players from 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 creating bad experiences for our users, and now it's like prevent the users from creating bad experiences. Well, for it's our also users. learning the lesson that for, for for this whole time period, it's. Well, if they're doing it more, if the users are doing it more, that's clearly better. Yeah, right. and they're realizing there's gradations to that. Yeah, yeah, um, and more and more may not be better long term. I mean, how many yeah. people are turning off, you know, turning off Facebook? Right, right. It's, or visiting less frequently because it makes them feel terrible about themselves. Um, before we wrap up, could I put on my historian hat for a second and talk specifically about video on the web? Sure. Um, you know, this is a podcast. Podcast audio is still essentially unsiloed. Mm-hmm. Um, can you, from your perspective of having dealt with YouTube coming and taking over video, yeah. um, why has it been with video? Obviously, Facebook is trying to um, come into the space, even Twitter and people like that. Why is it that YouTube captured video and has never let it go? Um, I'm going to posit a theory. Okay. That it's the search aspect of it. Yeah. yeah. That even if you put something on Vimeo, you still want it to be on YouTube too, because that's how people will find it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But totally. just, uh, I, I think you're exactly right. I, I think YouTube is the second biggest search engine. Mm-hmm. If I'm, I don't know if that's still true. Still holds, right? Still holds, right? And so I think that today, that's probably the longevity piece of it. But early on, don't forget, in 2006, which is only 10, you know, a little over, well, now 12, but, <laughs> God, um, it, that was a really tough technical problem mm-hmm. to do at scale. So, I mean, audio, the, the technology challenges aren't nearly as great, right? You had Odeo, right? right the yeah. predecessor to Twitter and mm-hmm. Ev Williams. I mean, I think with video, you, what it had was an immense amount of capital requirements to do at scale at the beginning, um, and then search. And then, and then Chad Hurley and, and they built a great product. Mm-hmm, it was mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. it was the right product at the right time as mobile phones were coming on board with video. Uh, you know the ability to shoot video, and I think they just nailed the product. And then they you know they they accessed the capital, and then it became just about search. And then that became the place that you would go. I will also say, early on, I think it was just it was pirated content. Mm. You know, before nowadays they they've really they've they've pulled it in, but you know that that. That business was built on the ability to find things that you should not have been they, able to they find. They pulled off the Napster model successfully. Yes, exactly. <laughs> they transitioned. You know, they transitioned well enough yeah. to, into legit into legitimate uh, you know controls around piracy. Well, and then now uh, YouTube's uh, uh, among the uh, the people that are having this problem with the curation. Yeah, and the, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, now they're dealing with it as well, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so, final question. Um, about virality, which, you know, obviously you've transitioned now to a subscription business, so it's not a hit-based business yep. or whatever. But again, since you've been doing this from the day one <laughs> of virality and memifying things, and if I asked you to write me a book uh, to explain how things go viral, could you do it? Is there like a, a formula that you think you have a sense of, or does no one really know what takes off? Create something of value that people want to share. Wait, so the book is Do Good Stuff? Do, yeah, <laughs> create quality product 
<laughs> that people authentically want to share. Because if you do that, then no algorithm is going to stop you. Honestly, mm. that's mm-hmm. a th- that's how we made it through that first wave of Facebook clamping down on developers. Like, at the end of the day, if you're creating something that people enjoy, that's got authentic value, they're going to share it, and it's going to get past any of the any of the changes any platform makes to gamify things. So. You know that's that's been the, that's been our model from day one, and it's always worked. Virality's gotten a lot harder. It's just mm. it's a, it's gotten a lot harder as as platforms consolidate. Is that because of noise too? There's so much out there. Yeah. So oh, yeah. definitely on the video side. I mean, uh-huh. on the video side, absolutely. Uh, but just even on the platform side, I mean, mobile is very very hard. Uh, to 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 achieve virality. I mean, they just don't have the the dynamics you had when you're working in a news feed mm-hmm. or over email and links. So, what is what is Jib Jab's model today? Like we yeah. said, you're you're on the messaging platforms now. You're doing yeah. things like is it like sharing gifts and things yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah, it's all it's all about content for expression. So, giving people tools that enable them to be funnier in their digital lives. So right now it's about lightweight expression for messaging. I'm really bullish on on iMessage platform. Mm -hmm. I think uh, Apple's built a great platform and it's one of these, we're in one of these windows uh, where it's it's a behavior, now it's no longer about the technology, it's about how long does it take for the behavioral adoption. So just like in this land, people said, you're never gonna believe this, my dad emailed this to me. Maybe about three or four years ago, my mom started using emoji. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. we're like you know a couple of years you know away from people really engaging in app-like services embedded in messengers, and so that's our next big bet. What what beyond that mm-hmm. is the next lily pad things like AR and VR and all these things we've been hearing is coming yeah. right around the corner. Uh, we experiment with AR. We have um, we have uh, augmented reality in one of our apps now. It's called Jib Jab Camera where you can actually take st- uh, personalized Jib Jab style stickers and put them into augmented reality. Super cool. Um, VR we're not touching. It's just I think it's more in the gaming space. It's not necessarily uh, you know in our wheelhouse. But augmented reality is really exciting, um, and I think there's you know some some really interesting fun fun things to do. I mean, it makes the world a canvas. Like that's a pretty exciting thing for creative people to tackle. Uh, this wasn't on my list of questions, but I'll end with this because you made me think of it when we've been talking. Um, you know, your your bit your career story is so much about pivoting is the polite yeah, word for yeah, it or whatever. But yeah. um, the ability to be nimble and change, for, in your case as platforms evolve and things like that. Um, but you also mentioned how you didn't take uh, capital for so long, yep. and that almost gave you more freedom. And the freedom specifically to be like, we're not dead yet. Yeah. Had you taken the money, people would have told you you were dead. Totally. But you did. So just talk a little bit about that, about being nimble and, and maybe starting small, allowing you to persevere when you would have had to stop otherwise. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's with everything, with investors, with employees. The more people you need to bring along with you, uh, every moment you're spent uh, you spend in those early days, especially communicating why you're making certain moves, are moments that you're taking away from actually making those moves. Mm-hmm. So for us, not taking capital early was absolutely critical. Uh, and the same thing, saying lean on the employee side, not only because it lets you move faster. It's way easier to move fast when you have five employees than fifty. But also to make sure when you are 
when you're building your team and you're growing your organization that you're making you know you're making a commitment to those people and that you can uphold that commitment and and uh you know and and, and bring them along on the ride wherever it is you're going uh greg spiridella it's a really fascinating ride <laughs> that, yeah it's been fun it's thank you thank fun. you for sharing that with yeah, us thanks i appreciate it if this is the first time you're listening to this podcast please subscribe to us on your podcast app of choice there's plenty more great internet history where that came from. And if you're a longtime listener, then you know what to do to help us out. Rate and review us on iTunes. Because iTunes gives credit to reviews and ratings, and the more great reviews we get, the more people will discover us. As always, there's more info on our website, www.internethistorypodcast.com. The show's Twitter handle is at nethistorypod, and my personal Twitter is at Brian MCC. Thanks for listening.